You're on. Sin and shame. Sin and shin. Sign of spot. Okay. Um, it also means um, two front teeth, sharp, press, eat, and number two. Number. Um, rulers persecute me without cause, but my heart trembles at your word. I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. Mm. Great peace. Have they who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. I wait for your salvation, O Lord, and follow your commands. I obey your statutes, for I love them greatly. I obey your precepts and your statutes, for all my ways are known to you. Okay. Seven times, Charlie, where the, the Muslims get prayer? What's that? Five times a day. Five. Oh, five. Five so, times a so day. Seven times a day. No, no, they're only five. Okay. They're just the number five in the Bible? beginners. Number five is grace. <laughs> uh, yeah, which definitely doesn't definitely doesn't fall there. Okay, we're going to be in one Corinthians chapter one here. I'm sorry, chapter three, verse four. But a couple things first. Uh, let's see here. We have uh, anybody know what happened on this day nine years ago? Nine years ago. Nine years ago on this day. I can tell you that you were a Grace Baptist on that day. And you were you a Grace got ordained. I got ordained ah! nine years ago today. Yes. Oh. Yeah, so there you go. Okay, so let's see here. We have um, Graham is having a long a lung disease that won't heal. He's been really having some. That's Graham over in Scotland. Most of you have known him through Facebook if you're on Facebook. And He's going in for another MRI, and he's a little concerned, so we, we want to keep him in prayer. And then Ron Elkin, you know, the Jewish gentleman that came with his wife, and yeah, yeah, he yeah. can't bring her up because she's in a wheelchair, but uh, she was riding in her scooter and got sideswiped by a car. Oh and she's got cervical disc herniation, bulging discs, very painful numbness in her left hand and fingers. So she's, she's definitely in need of prayer. And uh, then we have uh, uh, the doctor and Mabel's daughter also has a problem. They think it's a kidney problem, but what they've identified it at <laughs> as apparently cannot be the case. It's something that would be in, uh, inherited and nobody in either family has had it, but there is something wrong. And so we'd like to keep her in prayer. And then last week I asked you for prayer for Mark Bachman's father, who had very high white cell count. He was unable to move, extreme pain. He still is, but today was the first day of some relief. So we want to continue to pray for him as well. And so we have those prayer requests. And let's do that now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the uh, wonderful blessing of being able to come into your presence and ask you for divine healing if it's your will we would never presume to claim that but we can certainly ask for it and we can ask in anticipation of your hand of uh, healing being upon people and if that's the case then we will rejoice and we will thank you we'll be sure not to forget to do that but even in affliction we would pray that they would these people that were identified would not lose their testimony but would be strong and steadfast in their faith and even that something good would come out of these tests and trials so we certainly pray for these people, Lord, and we just ask that you be with them. We also ask for this class to be a blessing and not uh, improper doctrine, Lord, which seems to be the uh, the uh, situation of the day. It just seems to be growing that things are, are being taught which should not be taught, and it just has been getting 
worse over the past few months. And I would pray that uh, people would be willing to study and show themselves approved and not listen to everything that passes by every wind of doctrine, which is obviously incorrect. Lord, we love you. We praise you and we exalt you. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, we got a letter. I'm not going to read the this day in history today because I just want to read this. It's very short, but uh, what a brutal day. I got to tell you, you get your, your days where everything is debilitating. You get an email and it just turns into a nightmare and you get another one. It turns into a night. It's just been a long, tedious day. But I uh, came here early this morning to clean because uh, I had some things I knew I would do instead of coming this afternoon. And when I got here, this was sitting on the floor with this bandana, which this guy made by himself. And he, it's got a superior word. Now, I can't wear it during the sermon. So, I'll, I'll, yeah, the color won't allow me to do that. And I don't know if he watches the Bible studies, but he does watch something else. Uh, I, I, I am going to have to read much of this without um, uh, cutting anything, but I'm, I'm shy to read it, if you know what I'm saying, because oh, he said nice things. That's very hard to, uh, just, well, I just well, let, you know, um, no, I don't want you to read it. Um, uh, we'll just say, uh, God bless you. Most of my life was like a Laodicean lukewarm to my Lord Jesus Christ. About three years ago, I stumbled on your Prophecy Update and really liked it. Hearing your admonishment to watch less Prophecy Updates and get into the Word, which I say almost every week, I started watching your sermons from Genesis 1-1, and there was no looking back. I've since watched all of the Genesis sermons, the Ruth sermons, and I'm up to the Ten Commandments, which is chapter 20 of Exodus. So he's really going along. Who knew how rich and complex the Bible was? When you talk about what Jesus did for me, for us all, I weep. Now, this is a guy that was just having his ears tickled on a prophecy update, and now he's actually weeping over the word of God. Thank God for this. The fact that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and resurrected on the third day is proof of God's love for us. Um, let me see. Uh, no, 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 I'm not going to. Um, but he does say, as you say, the Lord has me exactly where he wants me, and I'm convinced that he sent me to you, meaning the church. Um, I'm an online member of the Superior Word Church and extremely thankful for everything you, meaning you, plural, I'm sure, do. Um, he says, I believe. And then he signs his name, Don Murray. So, uh, and he said, I could share this. So I just wanted to let you know that even when you have people that are just determined to argue bad doctrine with you, there are people out there that are willing to just say something nice. And it made my day. And I wanted to thank, I, I'll thank him again this weekend, but I can't wear this. Well, I'm. Uh, well, yeah, it, it's the same as color as that, and so my where head. From? Um, oh, like I'll tell you where he's from. Yeah. He's from um, Dalestown, Pennsylvania. So I there went you to are. high school with a Don Murray. Oh, well, okay. Well, there you go. Well, maybe he's related somehow. Dalestown. It just touched me, and I, I want to thank Don for that. If he watches the uh, studies, great. If he doesn't, that's fine. But he is watching the sermons, and he's getting into the Word of God, and thank God for that. And I, you know, I get these from time to time or an email like that, but you know, the standard day is six or seven emails that just want to argue with you over something, which is they're completely wrong. And, you know, I'll give you an example without talking about the issue, but today I got an email from somebody and they asked, what is your opinion on this particular issue? And I told them, and then they came back and said, well, you know, argue the point you're wrong. About, and I thought, if you already have your mind made up, then don't email me. I don't need to hear this from people. You know what you believe, and if you don't want to hear what the right. Bible says, right. 
that's fine. But it, it, it gets debilitating. I'll tell you that right now. I, it gets debilitating. I'm not trying to complain and I won't anymore, but I just want you to know that there are days where you have enough of that. And I told Sergio, I said, I just left the house. I said, I just got to get out of here. So, and then while I was talking to him here, they had an earthquake in Nazareth and he, he thought his house had exploded. It was very loud. So, but everybody's okay. So that was a, that was a good thing. But you know, when you live in a house, it's all concrete. And if the earthquakes, if they're really close, the ground goes up and down like this. That's yeah. the, and so that's very dangerous because the support can uh -huh. fall under you. If they, you're a little off to the side, it shifts like this. And that's also very dangerous because the, the bottom can shift out of under something and it goes over. And you'll see earthquakes where everything is laying in one, that would yeah. be that. Yeah. And then you get way far away and it rolls and it's kind of fun. I hate to admit it because it's scary, but it's also fun. You're like, but it's really not dangerous at that point. Anyway, we'll go on 1 Corinthians 3, verse 4. Well, I'll start at the top of the paragraph. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. You're infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? Or, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? Mere men. Mine says carnal. In other words, living in the flesh. This is a fuller explanation of verse 3, which we did last week. He noted that there was envy, strife, and divisions among those at Corinth. And then he reminded them of what he wrote in chapter 1, which we are all there just not too long ago. Verses 10 through 13. They were claiming allegiance to one person over another when the two proclaimed the same message. They're both proclaiming Christ, but they're saying, I, I want to follow this guy, and I want to follow this guy. And you hear this all the time. Well, I listen to this prophecy update, and I don't like that one, and I listen to this preacher, and I... They argue these things all the time, okay? You'll see that. Anyway, some liked Apollos, maybe because he had better speaking skills. Some liked Paul, maybe because he was first to bring the message to the lost in Corinth. Whatever the reason for their divisions, Paul says it is carnal thinking, which it is. By placing a person in higher esteem than another, when both are conducting the exact same service, a proclamation of the gospel, they were actually lowering their standards to that of the messenger rather than of the message. Their allegiance, if the message is wrong, then you can start working on saying this. But if you're just, I like this guy's style more, whatever, you know, why argue those things? Um, they actually were lowering their standards to that of the messenger rather than the message. Their allegiance was no longer to Christ, but on the one who was proclaiming Christ. Has anything different arisen in the past 2,000 years? Nothing no. New no, nothing new under the sun. And it has only increased with the advent of radio, TV, and now the internet. We long for flashy orators, great concerts of music set to lights and showmanship, comfy side rooms where latte are served. The vast majority of people do not come to worship the Lord and learn the word. Instead, they come to be allured by flesh. Life application. Let us remember what the purpose of the church is. Above all, it is to worship the creator and the redeemer of our souls. It is also intended for us to learn the word that he has given to us. And church is for fellowship and participation with others in the worship and instruction of those things. Those things which divert our attention from these can only cause a return to the 
carnal side or the mere men side of who we are. Verse 3 5. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants to whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Yep. There's the thought of individual subordination by Paul all over this verse. He begins with, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? The word used for who is T. It's an indefinite pronoun, which means who, what, which, or why, based on the context. Though translated who by the New King James Version, it's more likely what, as many others so translate it. It is a personal subordination that is intended as a deprecation of the ones being named. What is Charlie Garrett? What is this guy? What is that guy? Instead of saying who, it's just actually a deprecation of himself, if that is the intent, and that probably is. He is referring, again, back to the first chapter of the letter, where there were divisions based on individuals who carried the same message of Christ. Some wanted to follow Paul, some Apollos, some Cephas. But Paul prompts the Corinthians to think their allegiances through to their logical end. To help them along, he says they are but ministers. In this, the word ministers is diakonoi. It is intended to convey the idea of servants rather than lords or masters. Jesus uses the term in Mark chapter 9, where he says this. Let me get you here. 9 and let's see, verse 35. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. So it's somebody in a lowly position. If Paul and Apollos and any other person is a servant, then they are ultimately responsible to a higher authority. In the case of a Christian, they are servants of the Lord Jesus. So how can someone rationally throw an unfounded allegiance behind a servant of the Lord? Within a military or political structure, there are many levels of responsibility, but there's ultimately a leader overall. In the case of the United States government, there are hundreds and even thousands of levels within the government. But their authority ultimately rests in the three branches of government, which derive their power from the people. And each person is under a higher authority. The choice for selecting leaders comes down to choices about what direction the nation should go. And therefore, whether we logically think it through or not, the moral choices are made in each election. We see the results of that in New York in the past couple of days, where they have decided that you can abort a baby to the very last day. To the very last day, no problem, you can kill that human being, okay? Murder. Murder. Absolutely, it's murder. Absolutely. And then what did they do? They celebrated it by turning the, uh, the what is it, uh, Trade, Center. Trade Center pink. Freedom. Yeah, Freedom Tower, that's right, that's what it was, Freedom Tower. They turned it pink in celebration of their their proclamation that you can now murder a human being up until any day, right before it comes out of the birth canal, you can murder it without. And this is why we have to make choices in our voting. Christians that say, I do not vote because whatever reason are wasting their chance at saving human lives, at working against what God finds an abomination. That's all there is to it. I have, I have no love for people that say, I don't vote because. And if they the, do that, it's always ironic because it's like, well, it's all in God's hand. And then stuff like this happens. It's like, that's God's That's hand. God's hand. That's I right. Don't so. I don't think so. That's don't exactly so. right. Yeah. You know, they, they, they punt. Mm -hmm. They punt. Everything is in God's hand. It's like, it's just like Christian science with healing. 
right? They don't go to doctors. They say, well, if God wants them to be healed, then they'll be healed. God gave us brains. He gave us doctors. Luke was a doctor. You know, the Bible does not discount medicine. It does not discount going to a hospital or any other thing. Okay. That's the way it is. But Christians find every reason to act more pious than other Christians. And one of them, unfortunately, is I don't vote because. All right. Anyway, as God is the ultimate moral being, our political choices are actually choices for or against overarching moral principles that we feel should go in one direction or another. Therefore, even our political choices involve a sense of servanthood. We don't always think this way, but this is what Paul is relaying to the Corinthians. And in turn, his letters asking us to think the same way when elevating those in the ministry to positions which are actually unreasonable. And how many of us do this as we watch figures on TV or talk about the pastor that we follow in our hometown? Next, Paul, when speaking of such ministers, uses the term, through whom you believed. If you have believed the message of Christ through someone, then obviously they are not the source of the message. Rather, in the case of Paul and Apollos, they are servants of the source for the transmission of the message. If they aren't the source, then what sense does it make to elevate them to an exalted status? It is Christ who saves, and it is the message of Jesus Christ that they convey. And that's the way any church should be. If a pastor does not have that attitude, and if he doesn't say, this is it right here, because this tells us of Jesus Christ, then I wouldn't attend that church anymore. That this is what you go by and nothing else. People, I understand when you see somebody on TV, it's fun to meet them. I People walk in and the first thing they see when they see Jim is, I see you on YouTube. And that's fun. There's nothing wrong with that. But if they were to say, well, Jim is super spiritual because he opens the superior word every week. Yeah. You, and if you think that about me, then talk to Jim because he, or talk to Tom back there or any of these other guys I do mission work with, right? Or we got one lady back there that does mission work as well, right? They know me. They know all of my idiosyncrasies. I won't say it. Anyway, um, but I will say this. This is a little hint to anybody that does not listen to their audio Bible. I started on August 11th. August 11th with the audio Bible. I drive five minutes a day, except on Saturday, down to Mission Work and back. That, that's about all the driving I do. I will finish it on my ride home today. By the time I get home, I will be done. And that's just sitting in my car a couple minutes and listening to the Bible. And I don't. I only listen to it when I'm driving. Only five minutes a day that's not, I, I have said this to people. An audio Bible is 70 hours. If you drive 30 minutes a day, you will be done in 154 days. Now, there are times where I have to go out to Home Depot and it's going, or I have to go down the lows. But oh. normally, I drive five minutes a day. Okay. Five minutes that way, five minutes back. And that's it. Okay? I drive probably less than every person in here. All right? Unless you just don't drive. But I'm done. In August, what is it? August. Five months. Uh, uh, What's that? Five? Oh, thank you. Five months. And so it's a little longer than you would normally expect, you know, 154 days. Yeah. Maybe it's about the same. But listen, if you're not listening to your audio Bible, you should be listening to your audio Bible. Okay. This is the word of God. You got that. You've got, I get up every morning. I read one Bible. I go to bed and I read another Bible. And during the day, I'm doing stuff with the Bible. And if I wasn't doing stuff with the Bible for church, I would be doing stuff with the Bible on my break. Right. This is what we should be doing because this is where we get our connection with God. This is where we get our connection with the Lord. This is how we find proper doctrine. 
So not bragging about that. I'm just very excited because what I did is I put a little note there on the first on a piece of paper and I put another note with today's date on it saying done and I'll start again tomorrow with the same date and we'll be starting the Bible again. And I'm just going to keep a running track of that because I'm so thankful to Tom who has sent those out to us. It was such a kind gift of him and uh, it's the gift that just keeps on giving. I do, absolutely and wonderful. Charlie, just in case somebody wants one, you can get them off of Amazon. They're very, very inexpensive. inexpensive now. That's right. So if you want an audio Bible, and I'm talking about one that has all kinds of great sounds in the back. If somebody's uh, buying something, you can hear them dropping coins. If somebody is in a battle, you can hear them, you know, Clash. killing each other. And yeah, <laughs> swords clanging. And uh, it, it's just marvelous. It's a really wonderful thing. So please. How many, how many CDs is it? Uh, it must like. 32. Yeah, it, it's quite a few. Yeah. It, it's big. So uh, anyway, um, okay, so here we go. Um, uh, uh, yes, next Paul, when speaking of such ministers, uses the term through whom you believed. I think I already read this. Um, yes, I have. Um, Paul finishes this thought with the fact that they are ministers of the message as the Lord gave to each one. It is the Lord who gave the authority. It is the Lord who is the source of the message. And it is the Lord that proclaims the message. Nothing about Paul or Apollos is worthy of boasting or misdirected allegiance. It is the Lord in whom we boast, and it is the message of the Lord that we should hold fast to. The minister is but a servant. He has a duty to perform. He is to be recompensed for his duty, Galatians 6, verse 6. And he can even be accorded double honor, 1 Timothy 5, 17, but he is not to be elevated in any unhealthy way. Life application, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Thank you. Okay, 3-6. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. Okay. Paul, like many of the writers and hundreds of instances in the Bible, uses an agricultural theme to present a spiritual truth. He's been discussing the division of the church based on individual preferences of one person over another. Some were following Paul, some Apollos, and so on. However, Paul is already asked, was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? That was back in 1 Corinthians yes, chapter 1, verse 13. Such divisions are illogical because only Christ accomplished the work necessary to be found to found the church. All others did what was help all the others did was help relay the message. <clears throat> In his agricultural example, Paul begins with I planted. To this day, the term planting a church is used to indicate the starting of a new church in a new area. When a farmer or forester plants a seed, they're using something that already exists, whose original creator was God, right? Everybody got that? Let's, just to make sure we understand that, let's go back to the first page of the Bible and let's just see if that's actually correct. Genesis chapter one, we're gonna go to chapter one and let's go to verse 11. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass. Does it say anything about Paul? No. no. Okay. Brought, brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. 
like those ag agricultural things, God, through Jesus Christ, began the work of the church. Jesus alludes to this in John chapter 12. Here's what he says. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Paul merely planted what Christ had originated. Having gone to Corinth to tell the good news of the gospel, there he planted a church. Eventually, Apollos came into the area and continued to build up the church. He, in essence, watered the seed that Paul had planted. What Paul established, Apollos tended to and cared for. The plant was being cultivated. The church was growing. However, despite their work and despite the work of any other who had come to assist in the process, it was God who gave the increase. If it wasn't for God, that seed would do absolutely nothing. He created the seed. He's got the little thing inside that germinates, and it's got the part that supports the germination. You know, it's like a mango, uh, not a mango. Mango, same thing. Does it in my yard every year. Mangoes will fall on the ground, and they make this big splat right there, and they just start rotting, and they look disgusting, and you think, oh, well, I got to clean that up. And if you don't, if you just leave it there, guess what's going to happen? That seed will use all of those nutrients around that seed, and it'll put up really quickly too. I mean, it's surprising how quickly you'll get a little mango tree and then it starts putting the the uh, yeah, the roots down and you know all of that fruit is rotted in there. So it's made its own little type of fertilizer for it, exactly the right type. And then the thing grows up and I have mangoes, literally mango plants growing all around in the, the yard. Unfortunately, I have to pull a lot of them out, but if anybody ever wants a mango tree, come to my house after the mango season, you can dig up a nice sized little mango plant and take it home and plant it and you'll have the big yummy mangoes, right? And uh, the coconuts are really, really the ones that are special. You get the big coconut that falls off the tree. And you got to figure, some of them fall, some of my trees now are 30-some feet high, right? They're, they're very tall. And these things come down and they can land on the concrete, not just on the ground. They can land on the concrete and it doesn't hurt them a bit. And if I just take it and I put it off to the side and we don't touch it, if you go touching it, it's going to eventually not work because it has to start doing its thing. But inside of there is all of that water, and the water eventually turns into the meat, right? So you got more meat than water. You start out with all water. And if you start out just with the water, that is really sweet, okay? But if you wait a while, the water gets a kind of a little different taste, but you get more meat and more meat. But if you leave it, if you just leave that thing sitting there, and it falls, and you don't have to do anything, but if you move it, it won't do this, is what I'm trying to say. But eventually, right through that super tough husk that you can't pull apart. I mean, you got to be Superman to get that thing apart. But right through there, it will poke out a new, what do you call it, palm tree. Yeah, and it just pops right out. It happens in my yard every year. I put a couple aside, and out come new coconut trees. But if I take that coconut after it started the sprout, okay, it hasn't put down roots yet. And I take it, and I put it out in the bay, it will float away. And it's like a sail. It's amazing to watch it. The wind will catch it and it'll take it in when it bobs like this. And they'll find a little place on a shore and it'll root itself and up goes a tree. God is so wonderful. When I was in Malaysia one time, I saw a coconut inland going down the uh, Sungai Below River, which is close to where I was. And there it was just going down the river, looking out for its way to the ocean so it can go plant itself somewhere. But this is, this is what we're talking about here is that somebody plants... Somebody, you know, I, I may take the coconut and I may plant it 
Somebody may come along and say, well, it hasn't rained in a while and that thing needs some water and they may water it, but it is God who gives the increase. He is the one that created it. He's the one that has that thing growing. I don't care what you talk about, whether it's wheat or whether it is a miracle to watch these things happen. I never tire of it. Every year when a new coconut pops out of that husk, I enjoy it. I enjoy seeing it because there is God's work, which has been going on for thousands of years and another one is coming out of the ground. But all we do is we help the thing grow. That's it. Okay. Um, let's see here. Um, yes, the church was growing. However, despite their work, meaning Paul and Apollos and anybody else, and the work of any other would come to assist in the process, it was God who gave the increase. God is the creator of the tree with its seed. He is the creator of the water. He is the one who continues to provide water. He is the one who sustains the life of the tree. God is the one to provide favorable conditions for growth, wind, temperature, everything. Every aspect of the tree is completely dependent on him. And this includes having called Paul and Apollos and provided them with their abilities. The time that they would live, the place where they would live, everything. In the end, it is all God's doing. It, it, you know what? I'll give an example of how things work out. Sergio and Rhoda have been looking for a car forever. Buying a car in Israel is a nightmare. They will call somebody up and they, they might go to Tel Aviv. We're talking a long drive, right? How is the car? Is it okay? Yes. And they ask very specific questions. Are there any stains on the seat? Right? No, no, no. Are there any dents in the car? No, no. They get there and exactly what they had asked will be everybody lies there. Everybody. He says it is impossible to buy a car where somebody is not going to lie to you. Okay. He took a picture of one. He said, we asked him, are there any stains on the seat? No, no, none at all. Went over there and they took a picture of it. It was just absolutely disgusting. I couldn't, because that's the way they are there. That's just the society. If you want to get in the line at a store, you don't get in the line. You get in the V. They push each other. It's just, that's just the culture, right? So take, take advantage of thy fellow man is the, uh, the, uh, the idea there. Okay. Anyway, they finally found somebody, a doctor, I think it was, or a dentist that had a car and it was exactly what they wanted. And I said to him today, the Lord has put you through a process and you've gone through the process and the Lord has rewarded your faithfulness. They've been praying about it. They've been asking the Lord to direct their steps and he did, right? So anyway, they, they finally found a car. I, I don't know if I should be saying this because maybe somebody in Israel isn't supposed to know that, but it's too late now. <laughs> anyway, um, but they got a very good person, a very trustworthy person. And it, she actually had on her purse something, um, uh, what is the uh, saying? Um, you know, Jesus repeats it in the New Testament, um, uh, do good unto your neighbors and yeah, yeah, do unto others. Yeah, anyway, so she had that in her purse and they said, are you a believer? And she said, I just believe that's the right thing. Anyway, and so they got the right person. And, uh, you know, but that's what we should do. We just wait on the Lord's time, but that doesn't mean not to act. They acted, they went out and they kept checking and checking and checking because eventually, if you don't act, the car is not gonna come your way. There's a duality in our relationship with the Lord. He provides, but we have to also step out and we have to do things, okay? We're talking, oh, we were talking about that with, you just mentioned it with voting, okay? The moral issues. There's truth that the Lord is directing all things. That all things are gonna come out the way that the Lord directed. But we also have to act if we want those things to be in accord with his word. Okay, it's just the way it is. Anyway, um, and this is seen all the more clearly in the tense of the verbs. Paul uses the first two planted and watered are in the aorist indicative active verbs. They mark definite acts done at set times. 
However, the third verb gave the increase is imperfect indicative active. It reveals a continued activity, which certainly encompasses the work of Paul and Apollos. So you have different people that are given for different purposes, and the tense of the verbs themselves show what Paul is trying to say about the Lord and how he is working things out. So God is always the agency behind the worker, and he is the agency behind all aspects of the growth or decline of any church which belongs to him. However, there are also simultaneous activity conducted by the devil to thwart the work of those in the church, and we know that. This is seen in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. I understand it's to Israel under the law, but the parable still is valid. As Jesus says in verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. Paul likewise speaks of the continued work of the devil in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Even though he's speaking to Israel, it is a truth that still exists in the church. Okay, so having said that, um, uh, yes, church, I was going to make a point about that. I'm going to read it again. God is always the agency behind the worker. There are simultaneous activity conducted by the devil, but there is also the fact that if you don't go out and plant a church, then the church doesn't get planted. It is not that God's just going to say, okay, I'm planting a church and now it's time for you to do it. There is the once again, the duality of what we have as our responsibility and the God who provides according to his wisdom. Okay, life application. To God alone be the glory for the church and all it does and continues to do. And I'm talking about the church that is in obedience to his word and that is pursuing him properly. Okay, verse 3, 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God makes things grow. Ah, wonderful. Okay. Taking his thought from the preceding verse, Paul shows that he planted and Apollos watered. Their efforts were nothing. They were really nothing. Instead, it is God who gives the increase. This is a comparative verse where their accomplished works are put in relation to the continued unfolding of what God has accomplished is accomplishing, and will accomplish through the plan he is so wisely ordained. Are Paul and Apollos still alive? No, they've been gone for a long time. And we'll just assume that the church is still there in Corinth, which it's not, but we'll just assume that it is. There have been a lot of pastors in that church since then, and there have been a lot of infighting, and there's been a lot of divisions where somebody breaks off and starts another church, which can actually be a healthy thing at times, okay? There has been 2,000 years of this going on. And guess what? The Lord is still there watching over his church. Okay. False teaching, folks. I'm going to tell you about a false teaching. You're going to hear it. It's been coming out more and more. I saw it on Facebook a few minutes ago and Burke heard me grumbling about it. The seven letters to the seven churches are not addressed to the church, but to the Jews. Okay. Of the end times. If you hear that, that is incorrect. He's writing to seven Gentile churches. Some of them are actually churches that were founded by Paul. I could go on and on and on about that. I'm not going to. I just want you to know that there are all kinds of false teachings out there. People, well, you know, no, they're not. They're not praetors. They're people that don't know scripture. They hear something by somebody and they follow along with it without thinking it through. And this has become chronic in the church. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. In theology, everybody is a specialist. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows better than you do, and they have no training at all. They have probably not read their Bible through all the way once. And if they have, 
they don't remember any of it because they didn't read it a second time and then a third and then a fourth. Okay. I've read it many times. I've now listened to it once as well. And I still can't grasp it all. I have to go back and refresh myself. When somebody, Freda, who had to leave early, she uh, asked me a question before here. And I said, listen, Freda, you know, the studies, we do one verse and sometimes we'll talk for five or 10 minutes on a single verse. I said, I will not do a good job of answering that. But if you go to my website and the wonderful one website, because that's got them all in open format, whereas the superior word, you kind of have to poke around, look for each verse. But I said, go there and you will get my answer. And then if you want to talk about it, we can. But you'll get a better answer than me just speaking off the top of my head. Because I, while we're doing this, I will have something come off the top of my head. And that'll be addition to this. But I would not be able to remember everything we talk about. And that's why I do it the way I do it. But uh, when you hear these things, if it doesn't sound right, it probably isn't. Okay? Probably. You know, the, the issue of baptisms. You talked about it on Sunday. All right. It's an issue which is suddenly taken off in the church that uh, baptisms, you know, this and this and this. And there is soundness in the theology and there is unsoundness in the theology. You know, we could go back to infant baptisms. We could go to sprinkling baptisms. We could go to all kinds of things talking about baptisms. But there is something that is sound and there is something that is unsound. All right. It takes a lot of study to get to that conclusion. And a lot of people are not willing to study. And another problem is that somebody is told something and then they have what's called a, what is it? Presupposition. You presuppose that what you are now going to read doesn't say what it actually says because you've been told something and that is in your mind. When you come to the Bible, you drop your presuppositions. I do it every Monday when I type my sermons. And it has been the most beneficial part of my sermon typing is dropping presuppositions. Okay. I don't do it as much during Bible studies. All right. I fixed in my mind about what the New Testament says. I've gone through it enough and I've studied enough where I know the proper context. Okay. That's not bragging. That's just the way it is. But with the Old Testament, I am not fully schooled in it. And so when I get there in the Old Testament, I drop everything and I start and I read every single Hebrew word. Is this the first time it's ever been used? Is it the third time? Well, what was the context of the first two times? I, I go through all of that. It takes a lot of hard work to do that, but it's proven very beneficial in understanding what God is trying to tell us in those passages. It's, it's wonderful. Drop your presuppositions. I don't care what you think you know. Drop it and say, I could be wrong. Because if you're not willing to do that, you're going to be wrong. Okay. Anyway, we'll go on. Um, we're in uh, 3.7. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Paul is not saying that he and thus we shouldn't work, nor is he saying that we what we do isn't worth note in and of itself. We know this is so because in just another verse, he is going to speak about the rewards for the work we do, the work which includes what he is speaking of now. But even this shows the supremacy of what God is doing. If we are rewarded by God, then it demonstrates that what we have done was a part of what God had ordained. Or if we lose rewards for it, then it is not a part of what God has ordained. I've said this before. I'm going to say it. I always offend somebody when I say it, but I like to say it because it gets proper doctrine into people's heads if they're willing to listen. 1 Timothy, 11, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 is very clear. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. It's very clear, okay? And when a woman teaches a man, do you think that the Lord is going to say the end justified the means? 
She was a pastor in a church for 25 years and 15,000 people came to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do you think he's going to say, good job? He's going to say, no, you violated my word. The end cannot justify the means because if it does, then I am not the Lord of all creation who is infinitely just, infinitely righteous. And we have to think about that with every single thing we do in our walk with the Lord. Does this honor the Lord? Because if it doesn't, you are not going to get reward for it. Okay, read it again. If we are rewarded by God, then it demonstrates that what we have done was a part of what God had ordained. In other words, the things we accomplish were set in his mind as a part of his unfolding plan. And so in a comparative sense, what we do is to be counted as nothing in relation to what his plan fully involves. Like I said, we've got 2,000 years of the Church of Corinth. We've got people that have come. They've given great orations. Other ones couldn't speak properly for the life of them, but they were good pastors of the people, and they took care of their flock. All these different people, and all they did was just continue on what the Lord had established, what the Lord is providing the increase for, and what the Lord is protecting. Because in Corinth, there have been wars, and there's been famines, and there's been all of these things for all these years, and yet that church is um, making an example. The church isn't there, okay? I, I've said that, but I want to make sure you know the church isn't there that was originally there, but we're assuming that it was. All of these things have happened, and yet the church still stands, and it's still honoring Jesus Christ. It is God who is behind every single step of that process, okay? So, from seed to mature tree, Everything in the process which the foresters participated in and which was beneficial was a part of producing God's finished product, a product which started from the seed, nutrients, and water he originally created and which he continues to increase. Take to heart the words of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Ecclesia Proverbs. Come on, Charlie, don't go too far because it's a teeny little book. You can go over it very quickly. 5.18 through 20 says, Here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him, for it is his heritage. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God, for he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life, because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. Life application. Before I give you a life application, I just love this stuff, and it deals perfectly with what we're talking about. Last night, I was watching, going, waiting for Hedico. I turned on the TV, waiting to watch. What were we watching? We finished something yesterday. Some old movie. Anyway, um, and uh, I was going through, YouTube has these little five-minute videos, and so I picked one out. It was the five largest trees on Earth, and it was so great. Now, there are larger trees. I want you to know that the biggest tree on Earth is actually a banyan tree, which they didn't include. There's one in Hawaii and one in India, and one of them is acres and acres in size, but they went with the five largest of maybe single-stock trees. I don't know. Whatever. So they went through them. And the biggest one, anybody know which is the biggest one on the planet? It's got a name. comes from the Civil War. Anybody remember? Now, General Sherman. It's one oh, of the uh, sequoia, sequoia trees, oh. yeah. And so this thing, they, they dated it 2,700 years on this. Uh, on this uh, yeah, I've seen another date that says they think it's 3,500 years old. So somewhere, it's between somewhere between the prophet Isaiah and Moses. 
Okay, now imagine that. That tree has been standing there, and God has been, he, he, he planted it. Okay, there was nobody there at the time. The seed fell. And these trees are, they have a certain thing in them, which is fire resistant. And so that's, they stopped having the sequoias and the redwoods growing, and they couldn't figure out why. It's because we stopped the fires. Okay, and the fires actually do two things. One, the trees are impervious because of this, this stuff in there. But the second thing is that you have to have a fire for, yeah, for the seeds to come out. And so we were killing the, the forests. And so they now no longer do that. But this thing was planted by the Lord. It fell from another tree. And then he gave it the water. And that thing is absolutely massive. Just go type it into your scroll bar and look at the General Sherman. You know, I was in the Sequoia Forest when I came back, Hidako, and I came over the uh, the mountains when we were in California on our 50-state preaching trip. And I could not believe the size of some of those trees and the Redwood Forest. They also, the, the fourth biggest one that they mentioned was, I think it was the fourth biggest one, was a Redwood that nobody knows where it is except the few people that found it because they don't want anybody to know and then ruin it, okay? But this thing's really big too. And then there's another one, which is surprisingly large. I can't remember the name of the city. It's in Mexico. It's not very tall, but it's huge around this way. It, it, it's enormous. And so it was so big that they built the city around it because they didn't want to cut the thing down. <laughs> wow. Anyway, you know, this is this it fits perfectly with this here. So there you go, life application. All that we do and all that we accomplish is actually a gift of God. If it is a gift, then it came from him, and boasting is excluded. Likewise, praise for the work of another is to be acknowledged as ultimately from the Lord. By keeping these things in perspective, then we will rightly direct all praise, boasting, and adoration to the ultimate source of what is done. God gets the glory. Okay, God gets the glory. Verse 3 the man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. There you go. Okay, without even reading my commentary, I want to give you a reminder, I do this from time to time, is that every single thing that you do will be judged before the Lord. You will not stand for condemnation and salvation. That was done at the cross when you received Jesus Christ. That's done. There's no such thing as losing your salvation. There's no such thing as being condemned after you were saved. Okay? Everything that you do will be judged for reward and loss that is found in 1 corinthians chapter 3 is that right burke he's over there okay 1 1 corinthians chapter 3 i'm not going to read it now but it's there and then in 2 corinthians i think it's chapter 6 so we're going to get there eventually but everything comes down to reward and loss in your life with the lord if you don't do anything for the lord you're going to stand up there and you're going to get a very very small smile from the lord maybe okay you might get a frown i don't know what he's going to do but the more you do for the Lord now, the more you will be rewarded. And think about that. I mean, don't just sit here and say, oh, Charlie said that, and then go back and ignore it. What does it say in the book of James? You're like a person that looks in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what you look like. Think about what I'm telling you. You have one life to live. This is it. This is your only chance to get your rewards or losses for all of eternity. Think about it. And you don't have to do anything great. I, I'm not trying to say that in any way, shape, or form. But every time that you simply talk to the Lord while you're driving, or every time that you do something in the name of the Lord for somebody, oh, you know what? The Lord put this on my heart. Hey, guess what happened a day ago? Talking about that. I don't know if she was a Christian or not, but we'll use her as an example. I'm at 7-Eleven. I'm taking the recycles out of the dumpster, and I'm separating everything. It was really cold a couple days ago, right? I was standing there, and she came up, and she says, 
I want you to have this. And I said, no, no, I, it was a whole lot of money. I said, listen, I'm working for Peggy. And she couldn't believe it. She was like, no, here's this guy with these gross clothes on. Anyway, but if she's a Christian, if she is a Christian, she will receive a reward for that, for having tended to somebody out of her heart. I don't know. She works over at the flower shop and I eventually convinced her that I wasn't a bum after all. It took a little while. I said, I know fudgy and blah, blah, blah. It took a while though. But Listen, this guy walks up behind me from time to time. He shows up and he'll, he'll say, hey, buddy, can I give you a dollar? <laughs> yeah, because he knows that people say this to me, and so he does it. Anyway, but yes, uh, it, was, uh, it was very nice of her. But that was a small thing. But if she's a Christian, she will get a reward for it. Did you have something? Uh, I was going to say, it seems to be getting harder to get a word in from people about the gospel. But I wanted to give... Uh, some insight to some people that don't worry if you keep trying to give the gospel the more people you will find the one that they that needed to hear it no and then when you tell them they're excited and they're happy but you yep. gotta just reach a certain you just gotta keep one. doing it that's right well i'm gonna don't repeat that in case they may not have heard you and i want the people online to hear it, so i'm gonna say that again he said that it's frustrating and you can go out and it seems like there's less and less people that you can present the gospel to but and he's very good about this. He's got Jesus on his truck. He's got Jesus on his business cards, everything. He said that you just have to keep doing it. You just have to keep telling. And the Lord will direct you to the right person that needs to hear it and is overjoyed to hear that message. And that is exactly right. I got to witness to uh, a cop that I've seen every day at 7-Eleven for quite a long time. Uh, he's there every day. And finally, you know, I was pulling out and I said, I wonder if he's here today, if he had left, because I knew he was there. And so I came, I went the back way out of the mall instead of the front way and i pulled up right next to his truck and i got out and i was just about to start working and lo and behold he walks out of 7-eleven and i said i've been wanting to talk to you and so i got a chance to witness to him i don't know what he's going to do with it but guess what he was at a catholic i mean we got so many catholics here and when i asked him about jesus and about his eternal salvation he said well i don't know i'm a good guy and you know, there you go. And I did not. Yeah, a very Christian response. But anyway, Catholic response. I uh, I just didn't have a um, a lot of time to talk to him because he had a meeting. So I did. I gave him a track. Tracks back there, folks. It's always supplemental what you're doing. But what I'm trying to say is that keep doing that kind of stuff. Whatever it is that prompts you to have an interaction with the Lord, whether it's speaking to him, whether it's praying for somebody, whether it's, you know, calling a friend and saying, you know, the Lord put down my heart that I should just call you. I know you're not feeling well, whatever. Do it. This is your one chance at getting rewards. And life is so busy. I know it is. I know that work is busy. I know that you get distracted, you get frustrated, but you can include the Lord in it. And something as simple as somebody yelling at you and you saying, praise God through this. And they hear that and they have a change of heart. Guess what? You'll get a reward for that. Use your time wisely. As who says it? Redeem the time. Who is that, Paul? Redeem the time. The days are evil. I think that's Peter. Peter. Okay. Yes. Okay. Peter. Anyway, there you go. So, um, Charlie. Yes. You need to fast forward five verses here. Five verses. You've been on rewards all year. And, well, I just I just started on rewards. I don't. Um, okay. We're we're in a three eight. Is that right? Where are we? Um, oh yeah, I'm finishing up a life application. Um, uh, after Ecclesiastes, I oh, read I'm that. I'm saying skip over, didn't come back. I'm not going to skip over anything. <laughs> that ain't going to happen. Okay, I read you Ecclesiastes, life application. Um, uh, I'm going to read it again because I don't know if I read it. All that we do and all that we accomplish is actually a gift of God. If it is a gift, then it came from him and boasting is excluded. 
Likewise, praise for the work of another is to be acknowledged as ultimately from the Lord. By keeping these things in perspective, then we will rightly direct all praise, boasting, and adoration to the ultimate source of what is done. Okay, there you go. 3-8. 3-9? Nine. 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 Well, then why did I have that there? You just finished it. You just read eight. Oh. We'll do it again if you want. No, read me three eight. Go ahead. Okay. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. Oh, okay. Well, let me see. I, I obviously have done something completely wrong here. Hang on. Let me uh, three eight. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his word according to his own labor. I want to make sure that he yeah, who plants. Off onto the reward business. Well, I'm I'm missing something here. I'm missing three I three eight three seven. There's three nine. We're in three nine. You say. You're not the star. No, no, I I have not done three eight. I have not done three eight. That's why you've got me confused. We are not in three nine. We're in, no, I'm, somebody said three nine. We are not in three nine. Read three eight. I was correct. Go ahead. Read three eight. Yeah, but I'll do it again. That's fine. Okay. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. Okay, that's the right verse. Who said three nine? I want to know. We just did that. We just did that verse. No. Yes, we did. We did three seven. I said three nine. Oh, she said three nine. That's okay. We're blaming her. Okay. We did three seven. We are now in three eight. Okay. Here we go. Don't worry about that. I was so confused. Boy. Wow. Okay. In the preceding verse, Paul said, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters. As noted, this was not intended to mean that those who plant and those who water shouldn't work at all, as if their work was futile, but rather their duties are pale in comparison to the supreme and overarching work of God. What the laborers do is to use what God provides so that both he who plants and he who waters are one. They complement each other rather than compete against one another. Therefore, to divide allegiance in the church between Paul or Apollos is misunderstanding their ultimate purpose. They are cohesively working for the same end goal. Not only that, but one is merely building upon the other, and therefore they are both filling necessary roles. Not independent, but interdependent. And as noted, the tense of the verbs in verse 6 showed that they are a part of God's overall work. Dividing loyalties, as the Corinthians were doing, accomplished nothing except to mar a process that is being worked from beginning to end. God is working it. We're marring that process by doing that. A question could arise then. If these divisions are marring a process in which Paul and Apollos are engaged in, and that process is being directed by God, are the Corinthians thwarting the plan of God? The answer must be no. We talked about that with the abortion issue. We can't thwart God's plans, but we can still work to do what is right in accord with God's plans. God knows all things in advance. He knew that that vote in New York would have happened, what was it, yesterday or two days ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two, okay. He knew that was going to happen, but that doesn't negate our responsibility in the process. What it does is it says that the people that voted for this will be held accountable for it. No doubt about it. Therefore, the divisions had and have sound purposes. A few to be considered are, verse 1, or I'm sorry, point 1. The divisions in Corinth led to Paul's letter, which is a part of the Bible. So it had a good purpose, didn't it? As it is a part of Scripture used by all who read and apply their Bible, 
personally and within a church, then God purposes, God's purposes were met through this schism. God provided the increase, right? Isn't that? Absolutely. Point two, the division at Corinth and many divisions since have been used to turn one church into two churches or more churches, and thus the gospel can spread more quickly. God provides the increase. And point three, such divisions may cause a church to expel those who are unsound, thus protecting the integrity of the church and causing improved spiritual growth. God provides the increase. All right. These and many other problems, which may seem to thwart God's work, never can. In the end, the united efforts of Paul and Apollos, the supposed divisions by the Corinthians, and the continued process of spreading the gospel, both by competent people and even incompetent people, has and will result in God's plan being brought to a successful completion. We will not thwart God's will. He knows the choices we're going to make. Going back to what I said about a female pastor that converts 15,000 people, even though she was disobedient, God knew that they would be converted. And one of them may have been, you know, a, a, a Billy Graham type that went out and told a million more people, whatever. God provides the increase. He can use our evils for his good. He did it with Joseph. He's done it many times through the uh, pages of the Bible, and he's done it a million times in redemptive history. Look at your own life and the bad things you've done and how they turned out for something really good. Somebody got saved. Somebody learned a lesson. Whatever. You reconciled from your divorce. Whatever it is, God knows in advance, and he is infinitely wise, and he is taking those things and molding them perfectly, absolutely perfectly. And once this wondrous church is taken home to glory, I can't wait. I, I literally can't wait. All members of it will appear before the judgment seat of Christ that they may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. At that time, each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Hence my exhortation to you once again. Do what you can now, whatever you can do for the sake of your time standing before the Lord, do it now. Paul will use his reward for what he did. Apollos will receive his reward for what he accomplished. And you and me, we will stand before the Lord as well. So don't waste the time you have here, but instead, whatever work your hands find to do for him, do it with all your heart and soul. The rewards will be heavenly. And that reminds me of two people that are sitting in here right now, both of them down from up north, both of them come down, some, one for quite a while during the winter, one back and forth, back and forth throughout the year, and both of them spend their Saturdays, not out at the beach, they spend them in the projects, ministering to other people, right? Just think of it right? They could be out at the beach. Oh, I'm in Florida. I'm not up in that cold anymore. And one of them actually on Saturday, I was so embarrassed. He said, I actually like the cold. I was like, oh, oh well, somebody get that guy a cure. Okay. I know there are people listening right now that love the cold too. I can't take it. I literally can't. I like the cold when it comes, you know, for cutting palm trees, 65 degrees. After that, I'm sorry. It's just, it's too much. The what? 44, 44. You know, I went out and took that sunrise photo two days ago. It was the one that was focused through the dock. It was because I was shaking so badly. I thought, I'm not going to get any other photos. So that's what I'm going to do. I was, and I was all bundled up. Oh, it was miserable. No shoes, though, I bet. 
No shoes. Oh no God. shoes. Okay, life application. Good or bad, your actions are being used by God as he directs the building of his church. Make every effort to accomplish good and honorable results so that you will receive a good and blessed reward. 3 9. I'm going to be curious to see what your book is. Okay, 3 9. I'll, I'll follow along. Go ahead. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. God's building. Exactly the same, except it inserts the words, you are. You are God's building. So there you go. Same. 3.9. In one verse, there are three clauses given by Paul in rapid succession. In each of them, God is emphatic. He begins with this continued use of agricultural themes found in the previous verses with, for we are God's fellow workers. Two possibilities come to mind. One, we are synergistically working with God towards a common end. Synergistically means together. Mono, monergism would be God working alone. Synergism would be a duality or a, a, a dual working together, God and man. Okay, one, you know it's six o'clock. Yeah. Okay, yeah. He's going to make his wife wait at the airport. He's like, yeah, I'd rather listen to the Bible. Good job. Okay, we are synergistically working with God towards a common end. God does something, and we cooperate with him in producing the desired effect. Two, we aren't working with him as a partner, but rather we, those below him, are fellow workers with each other. Okay, this is Paul. We're trying to figure out what Paul is saying. He then is a director of the operation, and those who are involved in what he has directed are working together for that desired end. Based on what he has said about himself and Apollos in the previous verses, the second option is certainly what is intended. Read the verse again now that I've given that. For we are God's fellow workers. Okay, that's just that. We are God's fellow. What is he saying? Are we working with God synergistically or are we working below God with each other? I'll read you my analysis again. Based on what he has said about himself and Apollos in the previous verses, Ooh, the really second cool. option is certainly what is intended. Yes. Paul planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Remember the, the verb he used was one that was ongoing, all right? Because he is the initiator, he is the planner, he is the sustainer, and the overseer of the process. The second option is correct, but it could be looked at in one of two ways as well. So here we go. One, that God is conducting the labor through us at his will without our choices in the matter. It would be comparable to a farmer using a tool to do his work. The tool is directed solely at the farmer's will. We've already determined that we are God's workers means that it is us working under God. But is he using us as a tool or two? Our volitional choices are involved in the process. Everybody understand this? Yeah, I know. It gets a little complicated, doesn't it? That's why I was curious how this was going to read. It's the same. but It does read the same. The second option is certain. We are working with volitional choices. And I, before I go on, I'm going to tell you this. This is the way that salvation works as well. There is a synergism. It is not monergism, as Calvinism says, okay? That is not the way it works at all. We have to choose Jesus Christ. God does not regenerate us in the spirit. Then we are born again, and then we receive Jesus and are saved. That's what they teach. That is incorrect, okay? We must choose. We give the gospel. We get on our feet, and we go out, and we tell people, etc. okay? That is the message of the Bible. That monergism stuff is absolutely crazy, and I think the reason why people believe in monergism, I think the reason why is because somewhere along in their line, in somewhere along the line of their life, 
they have somebody that yeah. died apart from Christ. And that bothers them. And they don't want to admit that they failed that person or that person rejected God, blah, 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 blah. And so what do they do? They do exactly what we were talking about earlier. They punt to God and they say, it's God's fault. I'm saved. I know that God chose me. God didn't chose him. And that's it. I think that's where that kind of doctrine comes from, because we are very clear in the Bible that you must choose Jesus Christ. It, 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 how many times does it say whosoever will come? As a matter of fact, Burke said that to me one time. Somebody was arguing that point, And he said, I just wish there weren't so many whosoever's in the Bible. Well, that ought to tell you something, right? Okay, anyway, we'll go on. The second option is certain. All we need to do is look at the conduct of those in Corinth or at the conduct of any other Christian person. Peter, for example, was the apostle to the Jews, and yet at times his actions were not in line with the gospel, as Paul notes in Galatians 2. I'm going to take you there very quickly. It's an important set of verses to substantiate what we're talking about right now. We are not tools. We are given choices, and God simply knows the choice that we will make. Okay. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. Sounds like a voluntary act of the will to me. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Barnabas made a volitional act of the will to follow Peter, who volitionally acted to follow the Jews rather than holding to the gospel of Christ. Okay, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. You can take all of the Judaizers in the world today, all of the Hebrew Roots movement, all of the churches that say you have to observe the Feast of the Lord or a Sabbath day or any of those other things, and you can throw them right out that door because he refutes that. We do these things by a volitional act of the will. We follow bad doctrine by a volitional act of the will. We presuppose by a volitional act of the will, and then we cut out the things that we don't want to believe, even if we're wrong and we know we're wrong. It's very Jewish important. Roots, the what? What do the Jewish roots movement say about this first? They just ignore it. They, 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 they twist the word so it sounds like it says something that it doesn't say, but doctrine is actually really important. As R.C. Sproul used to say, and I say quite often as well, doctrine matters, right? And I disagree with R.C. Sproul on a million points of doctrine, but doctrine matters. He's going to stand before, she's laughing back there, I'm going to stand before the Lord and one of us is going to get rewards or both of us are not going to get rewards, but we are not both going to get rewards for the things that we disagree on. There is one path of proper doctrine on every issue in the Bible where you can both be wrong, one of you can be right, but you both cannot be right about an issue when you disagree on doctrine. Okay, doctrine matters. Okay, in the first view... If the first view are true, the one where um, God is working with us like a hoe and we're not being, uh, uh, he's just hoeing the ground. If the first view are true, we would be limited to ascribing only the appropriate actions to God. 
Everybody understand that? Only the good things that happened would be ascribed to God. And all the bad, where, does, where do you do with that? Well, God had nothing to do with that, but we, we don't have a volitional free will. And so, but think of that with salvation. Think of that same issue with salvation. Okay. Somebody doesn't get saved and we punt to God because it's the only place to punt to. It doesn't make any sense if you think those doctrines through to their core, if you think them back to their logical beginning, all right? However, Peter's failures and those incorrect actions of the congregation in Corinth, which necessitated this epistle, by the way, which we're reading right now, have been used by Paul as instruction in his letters, which are now included in the Bible. As the Cambridge Bible for Schools and Colleges notes, he regards them as responsible beings responsible to him for the work they do, but the results are still God's and God's alone. To God be the glory. That is the ultimate sense of what is being said here. Now, having said that, I just quoted Cambridge. Quite often I quote Cambridge and it's in the negative because especially with their Old Testament commentary, they're very liberal. Okay, they deny the inspiration, I guess, of the Old Testament. They're saying this was written by somebody after Ezekiel's time when it says it's written by Moses, etc. Okay, I cite something when something is worth citing. Somebody emailed me a couple days ago, and apparently I cited John Calvin in one of the sermons. Okay, and she emailed me, why did you do that if he's a false teacher? Well, he teaches false things, but it doesn't mean he's a false teacher. He teaches true things too, all right? If something is worth quoting, guess what the Quran says? God is merciful. Is that true? Okay, I can't throw it out because it says it in the Bible as well. Just because the source is invalid doesn't mean that it isn't true within that source. So when I cite John Calvin, it's because John Calvin said something very wise. Or he said something bad and then I explain why he's wrong. Right? That's what we do. That's how we learn. Is We actually learn more by things that are incorrect than by things that are correct. If you learn from the mistakes, you will be far better off than learning and not remembering the things that are proper because we tend to not remember the things that are proper nearly as much as mistakes. Hence, I remember almost every spanking that my mother gave me when I was a kid, right? Okay. All right. Continuing on in his trifold thought, Paul next says, we got to go quick on this, I guess. We were only on the first one. Of, yeah, we'll make it. It goes quick after this. Um, in his trifold thought, Paul next says, you are God's field. He retains his agricultural theme to indicate that the work being conducted by him and any other instructors is being worked out in a larger context, inclusive of all believers. And this context has continued on for 2,000 years. The ministers of the gospel are laboring in a field to raise good crops, a crop which belongs to God. Having said this, he suddenly moves from agricultural to, guess what? Architectural. Yes, you are God's building. This is not happenstance or an attempt by Paul to simply make a fine-sounding repetition. But it is an intentional change to substantiate the thoughts considered above concerning his first two statements. A building doesn't build itself. It requires an architect, materials, and a host of competent workmen who have a wide variety of skills. In many other passages of the Bible, a builder or the concept of a building is used in a moral sense. It indicates edification and exhortation and proper understanding and conduct. Therefore, like the parable of the sower and the seed, which Jesus gives in Matthew 13, 1 through 23, and the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew 13, 24 through 30, we can know that God's building only includes those who are selected by him beforehand. 
and who are fitted properly into the structure. God knew in advance all the materials that would be needed for his building, and he knew what would be discarded as worthless material in advance as well. Now think of this. We got somebody that is working for God's building. He's in the pulpit and he's telling people about the gospel and he doesn't believe the gospel. He was never saved. So he's actually there bringing stones into this building that's being built and he's not even one of the stones. Isn't that irony? I mean, that's like the height of irony. One final site. Oh, wait. Interestingly, in his great building, the greatest stone, capital S of all, is the one that was rejected by those who are outside attempting to build their own structure. It is Jesus. The Bible proclaims it in the 118th Psalm. Let's see here. I mean, I could probably quote it to you, but I don't want to misquote it to you. So Psalm 118, which is definitely a messianic psalm. If you if there are any in the Bible, this is this is it here. But anyway, whoops, I went a little too far. 118 verse, uh, what do I want? 22. Yes. Okay, next page, Charlie. Okay. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. I got something ringing over here. Is Sergio calling me? Is there a phone? Oh, yeah, he's something doing something on, on the uh, Oh, okay. We, we might not be online anymore. That's okay, though. Um, all right. Well, anyway, um, yeah, I, I hear this beeping, and I, I thought maybe he was calling me. But okay, so one final side note concerning uh, this verse. The word for field is the Greek word ge georgion. Okay, it has been noted that the high use of the name George within Christianity is a result of Paul's use of this word here. If you know someone named George, you might now have something fun to share with him. There you go. Life application. We are responsible to God for our actions, and we will be held accountable to him for the life we live. Work for heavenly rewards, which never fade rather than earthly gain, which perishes. Okay, we do have time. Ten. Ten. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else building on it. But each of you should be careful how we build. Okay, it's a little different. I'm, it's a different enough where I'll read this one. According to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Okay. Oh, I almost got ahead of myself. The next verse is the one that I was about to start talking about off the top of my head, but I won't do it yet. Okay. And maybe we can get done with, yes, we can. We can get them both then. In this verse, meaning 10, Paul begins with, according to the grace of God, which was given to me. Paul was, as he states himself several times in his writings, a soul needing God's grace and mercy. In 1 Timothy 1, verses 2 through 14, he describes his former life in this way. Let me take you there. 1 Timothy 1, and what did I say? What verse out? 1 verses 12, and okay, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Okay, so despite his previous life, God bestowed his great grace on Paul, calling him as an apostle. But more than that, he called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Exactly. The very thing which would have been most repugnant to him at one time, 
became the passion of his soul. In his calling, he became a wise, as he says, master builder. Here the Greek word is architecton, an architect. He was given the responsibility to design the new structure of the Gentile church by the wisdom of God, which he had been ordained with by him. His personal instruction, followed up by his letters, are what provide the structure for churches even today. In this solemn task, he laid the foundation, as he says. There at Corinth, the body he is addressing, he proclaimed Jesus Christ. This is the one and only foundation of any true church. He describes this in detail in the book of Ephesians with these words. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The foundation of the apostles and prophets, as Paul says, is the word pronounced throughout the Bible, which speaks of Jesus Christ. The entire body of scripture testifies to him. Therefore, the foundation Paul laid in Corinth is that foundation that he writes about to them now, as will be seen in the next verse. He laid that foundation, and then he says, and another builds on it. This is referring back to what he stated earlier, that he had planted and Apollos watered. Each had his own role, and neither is to be exalted above the other. All are working toward the same goal, which is a mature church founded on and which proclaims Jesus Christ. And because of this, care was and is required. Any departure from this truth can only lead to eventual apostasy. And so he warns them with the words, but let each one take heed how he builds. That takes you right back to James 3.1. You're going to be judged more strictly if you're a teacher. Not, brethren, not many of you should purpose to be teachers knowing that you will receive the stricter judgment. Okay? Throughout the history of the church, people have crept in with personal agendas, unbiblical teachings and traditions, and the mixing in of false worship. As churches are so influenced, they degrade to the point where very little is left of true worship and pursuit of Christ. When this occurs, people either stagnate and fail to grow, or the congregation simply dies off as a Christian entity. We can go to Revelation 2, verse 5 and see that. Let me take you there really quickly. Which, by the way, is one of the seven letters to the seven churches. churches. The Gentile churches. Don't believe people that tell you that crazy doctrine. It's been going around and it's getting worse. It's an infection. It is harming the church, the things that people are teaching nowadays. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the work first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And that is not speaking to individuals. You can lose your salvation. See, you can lose your lampstand. Individuals don't have a lampstand. It is for the church. Thank you. Okay, so there you go. Everything in context. Let's see here. Where are we? Revelation 2, I just said, and I can't find my place. There it is. Okay, those who love Jesus Christ and his word will Move to start a new church body, which returns to the foundation, which Paul speaks of here, Jesus Christ. And life application, and we're going to have time just for 311 and we'll be done. Without adherence to the Bible and a sound interpretation of it, churches will very quickly fall away from the truth. Jesus Christ may be on their lips, but he is far from their hearts. Be attentive to the word of God and be ready to defend it.
All right, 311, and we'll be done. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Very close. Okay, 311. In verse 10, Paul had said, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. As a wise master builder, he began the church at Corinth with a solid foundation, the solid foundation. Had he come on a come as a philosopher with the wisdom of the Greeks or as a Jewish rabbi with the traditions of the Pharisees in order to build the church, there would be nothing truly solid for others to build on. But he came with the one foundation that all of Scripture points to, Jesus. That's why when you got a church and it starts out on the law of Moses, I'm sorry, you will never become a sound church. It is not going to happen. The word for refers directly to the preceding verse, which said, let each one take heed how he builds on it. If Paul laid the foundation and others came with, a, with conflicting instruction, there would be no cohesion in the building. If one is to build a solid foundation and put up a house of reeds, the house will simply blow off the solid rock, won't it? He has wisely laid the foundation on what all of Scripture points to, all of it. Isaiah 28, verse 16 shows us a hint of what was coming. Isaiah 28, verse 16. I might even read you 17. We'll see. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. The idea is cited at least five times in the New Testament and is speaking of Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone, which is the foundation of the work of God. From this, there must be a harmonious erection of the rest of the building using the same material. This then speaks of the principal doctrines of the faith. The Trinity, which implies the deity of Jesus Christ, the virgin birth, his incarnation, the all-sufficient atoning death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the surety of his coming again. Thank you, etc. If these principal doctrines are denied or skewed, they cannot be a part of the house which God is building. Nothing else can be added as well. It is heretical. It is heretical to teach a sinless state in Mary, for example. Everybody got that? If you hear that, that is absolute heresy. We have no other mediator between us and God, and so on. It is all Christ, only Christ, and the properly proclaimed Christ, which must be the building materials upon the foundation, which is Christ. Life application, be careful to always return to the core teachings of Christ, never adding to or subtracting from or twisting them as you go. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for getting us through this uh, study tonight. Thank you for uh, the wonderful lessons we've learned from the hand of Paul, but from your mind ultimately, and from the gift of your Holy Spirit working through him to give us this sure word. And how wonderful it is that we can turn to almost any page in this book and we can find somewhere on that page Jesus but certainly in every single book, there he is being revealed to us in his glory, telling us that we have a sure word and thus we can be confident in our faith, which is in him. Lord, how wonderful that is, especially when things go bad and when people have difficult times and when we lose family members and our lives seem like they're on a sea, which is tossed and, and just all over the place. 
we know that there is a sound and sure, steady place where we are going to, and our faith will get us there and nothing else. Help us to remember that and to just preach Christ and to preach the truth about grace through faith being the way to be reconciled to him. Not I'm a good person, not I've done this, not I've done that, but I believe in Jesus Christ and what he has done. Help us to proclaim that message always to your glory and in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Ah, oh. Very good. Okay, let's see here. We're going to back this baby up. What do I do? Break? Break. All right.